You're listening to the UI podcast by the Swedish Institute of International Affairs. First of all, I wanted to say welcome. Thank you. You are a journalist and a political analyst. Yes, I'm an economist actually. And you yeah. have worked with yeah. financing and terrorism. Yeah, financing of terrorism. Yeah. yeah. You've covered the Middle East. Mm-hmm. My first question would be, how did that assist you in writing the book that you've mm-hmm. written about North Korea? Well, actually, I knew North Korea before my career in financing of terrorism because I worked for a Russian bank. Actually, I worked for Moscow Narodny Bank in London, which was the foreign trade bank of the Soviet Union in the 1980s. And we did uh, quite a lot of work also for countries that were trading uh, with the Soviet Union, and one of those countries was North Korea. So in my previous life, (laughs) before I became an expert on financing of terrorism, I actually worked uh, on centrally planned economies, and in particular countries, communist countries. Now, of course, North Korea is not a communist country, but it was trading uh, with the Soviet Union. Mm, that's interesting. So from mm. the 1980s, yes. you followed its development, I suppose. Well, or... I didn't follow, no, I didn't follow the development all the way through. Mm. I mean, at a certain point in the 90s, mm. uh, um, I changed job, so mm. I was not doing that anymore. But of course, I knew the beginning of the mm. story, I knew what Juche was, I knew how the system was structured. And not very many things have changed mm-hmm. <laughs> since the <laughs> Exactly. This seminar that mm-hmm. you're here uh, as a guest speaker focuses on myths and realities when it comes to North yeah. Korea. And do you have any concrete uh, myths that you can suggest yeah. as examples? Well, I think you know, the first one is that North Korea is a communist country. <laughs> it has never been a communist country. Um, it's actually a country that was built on... Um, the purity of the race uh, of the people that belong to the country. So it was a nationalist uh, kind of manifesto platform. Um, And within this platform, the North Koreans uh, were presented uh, as uh, the purest of the pure of the race. And this all happened in the 1950s. So after uh, the end of World War II, in a moment in which um, talking about race or talking about nationalism was a taboo in the rest of the world. So that's, I think, is quite interesting. Mm. And because of that, to a certain extent, I think uh, the mythology, the myth of North Korea being a communist country started to take shape because it was impossible for the Europeans and the world to accept that a country existed that was formed after the tragedy of uh, the Holocaust uh, on racial issues. So that's one. The other one I think is more recent is the fact that Kim Jong-un is uh, um, a sort of puppet in the hands of the elite, that Kim Jong-un is a grotesque individual, uh, that he doesn't understand what is going on in the world, that he's a ruthless uh, dictator um, full of ignorance uh, and, and not a political, uh, skillful uh, individual, which in reality is, uh, because uh, I mean, what, what we've seen so far 
is one of the most outstanding examples uh, of maneuvering mm. <laughs> through international diplomacy. Mm. Well, it is true, because uh, that is, to the general public, he is presented as someone yeah. quite impossible. Yeah, he's grotesque. Yeah. You know, just, yeah. Yeah. But no, I mean, the guy is very smart. Yeah. Mm. And I said this um, right from the beginning in the book, um, uh, because, you know, you have to know the system, uh, and I have a little knowledge from the past, of course, but you do not survive uh, those kind of systems. Uh, so very totalitarian, very racial, very close, um, very oppressive. Um, with a caste system, you do not survive unless you know how to move around. Mm. And in order to move around, you have to have an in-depth knowledge of the system, but you have to be very smart. And he is very smart. Mm-hmm. And what would be a myth mm-hmm. that is uh, kind of um, outside of these? Because what you've just mentioned, the myth of, about the Communist Party, for mm-hmm. example, or this, this is uh, something that actually wouldn't come across as a myth at all. Uh, but is there an example of a myth that you'd, you'd find, okay, this is actually quite ridiculous? Do you have an example of that? Oh, um, well, it's all about, well, I don't know. I mean, like <laughs> Kim Jong-un eats so much uh, cheese or something like that, yeah. Um, I think, you know, there is a lot of stuff that, um, to me, appears ridiculous. Um, okay, so, for example, this is a dictator that starves his own people. Now, you know, which kind of individual would actually consolidate his power by starving his own people? I mean, even if you look at Stalin, who was a ruthless dictator, um, whatever Stalin did, he did it in order to maintain its own power, which for sure was not simply killing people. There's always um, a motivation behind. But if you listen to the media, or if you listen to the politicians, um, there is this constant sentence, uh, this is a dictator who is starving his own people. Another absurdity is that in North Korea, people are starving to death. They're not starving to death. I mean, they did in the 1990s, uh, um, but for completely different reasons and circumstances. But today, there is not starvation. And in any case, uh, there is not that kind of uh, harshness, economic harshness, uh, which we see in uh, some countries in Africa, for example. But the idea is uh, that this is uh, the worst possible place on earth. Mm. It's not true at all. Or another um, absurdity is... uh, the, yes, you know, people do die in Iraq because of terrorism, but uh, life is so much better in Iraq because it's a democracy than in North Korea. Well, actually, no, it's not like that. Yeah. Now, just a final question on, uh, of course, cu- some current affairs. I have to bring it in. Trump mm-hmm. and the yeah. meeting coming up in May, yeah. I think, as far as... Uh, yeah, I think they're meeting in May. What, yeah. what will happen? What do you think? Well, I think, you know, they will 
come out with the draft of an agreement. I don't think they're going to reach any agreement. Also because North Korea is not going to denuclearize. So they will, they will reach an agreement which then has to be approved and perfected. But the agreement will be similar to the agreement that they, we have reached with um, Pakistan, India, or even Israel. I mean, at the end of the day, these people have uh, a weapon, several weapons, I would say, nuclear weapons. And uh, they did it. They built them against the will of the international community. But they didn't denuclearize. So something similar is going to be around. Of course, it's going to be presented by Trump as his personal diplomatic victory. And it's going to be very good for Trump because he's going to the midterm election. Uh, he's going with a strong economy. So domestic market is doing very well. Uh, if he goes to the midterm election also with a sort of... Um, tentative agreement, which of course he will present as a final agreement, but tentative agreement with North Korea, I mean, I think he may actually uh, win the midterm election, which would be exceptional because generally um, the president uh, never wins the midterm election. It's always the other party. So that's what I think is going to happen. Find us on www.ui.sc. We are also on Facebook and on Twitter with UI Sweden. And we're also on YouTube where you can watch our seminars and interviews.